Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to The Rob Manis Show. We've got a really special guest this week. I look forward to this conversation. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting and unique and give some folks uh, like you and me some insight into uh, really one of the leaders of, uh, of a movement, a movement of, uh, you know, centered originally around Donald Trump, but it's really a movement about average Americans uh, that want and demand to have a say in how their country is governed, what it does, uh, and uh, how we participate in it. So the title of the show this week is The Time is Now for the American Working Class to Take a Stand. And my guest uh, recently appeared in a Mother Jones article that one conservative influencer said described him as the godfather of the movement. What movement? I'd call it the independent Americans political movement, but the establishment might likely call it the MAGA or the deplorables movement. The article describes this man as a creator of the political conference, AmpFest. The bearded 57-year-old businessman originally from Richmond, Virginia, is named Alex Phillips. A relative newcomer to right-wing politics at the beginning, Phillips owned a small wireless internet service provider in Virginia's Senate Valley and has gotten contracts with the USDA to develop rural internet. He was long active in the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, which Present, represents independent wireless companies and lobbies the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. He's also served as the group's president. His credentials have made him prominent enough to be quoted as an expert on rural broadband in the Washington Post and appointed twice by the FCC to serve on a consumer advisory committee. Alex has even spoken at the National Defense University and the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association. Mr. Phillips is working on a new project, and I'm excited about it, American Workers United, that is focused on helping working Americans restore their First and Fifth Amendment rights through litigation. And frankly, it's about time we all stepped up to help those average Americans fight back. Alex, my friend, welcome back, or welcome to The Rob Mana Show. It's good to have you. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited about this interview, sir. Uh, I mean, first of all, though, how are you doing? I, I read this Mother Jones article, and, and it looked like it started out as a hit piece, but actually uh, it's a very in-depth uh, uh, presentation. Uh, and, and I think, uh, unless you tell me otherwise, it accurately quotes you and what you said uh, about some of the things that have been going on the last few years and your role in, in organizing uh, AmpFest, American Priorities Conference. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I did have a conversation via email with the reporter, Stephanie, and, um, you know, it, it was obviously a, a biased article and I actually talked with her afterwards and, uh, but I decided that I was going to, um, you know, answer some of her questions. You know, sometimes people, um, within our movement decides they don't want to talk to left wing or progressive outlets because just feeding the fire of, of propaganda against us. But, uh, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly about my position on some things and I think how I'm being portrayed, um, especially, you know, at least the beginnings of that article and how other articles have, have been about me is not exactly correct. Because I, I think that's generally speaking how the left or progressive media wants to pigeonhole a lot of us as being, you know, these people that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really know exactly why, but, you know, not everybody in our group is the same. And I, and I actually mm -hmm. talked about this at a at a uh, event in uh, in Texas um, a couple years ago, where I did my you know we all wear different hats routine. 
I only had 15 minutes yeah. to talk and I had a box full of hats, but you know, we all are different. We're not, we're not the same. We have different positions on things. And the reason why I got involved in this movement, um, coming from the internet industry, I understood because I've been in the business, internet business since the day of dial up internet, you know, when you had that modem yeah. going to squeal and, and people didn't know why they, the internet existed. They didn't know why they were using it. And then before you knew it, everybody uh, had to have it, you know, they had to have dial up internet, then they had to be faster and broadband. So I've been involved in this, you know, since 2001. And I understood that people are communicating online, and people are using the internet more and more for business and personal and interactions with folks, people, uh, some people spend too much time on the internet. And I, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, but it, sure. <laughs> the first time in history, at least the history that we know, that a person, one person can speak to the entire world. You know, I, when I, I kind of, you know, jokingly say this, but, you know, even the time of, you know, when Jesus was around, he could only speak to those people that could hear him. And then eventually his word got spread through word of mouth. But now um, my voice or your voice or anyone's voice that's connected to the Internet can be heard by the entire planet. Uh, or at least most of the people that have internet access on the planet, which is a surprisingly large number. Yeah. And these social media companies um, and these other companies like Google and Facebook, these were companies that I had interactions with during my tenure as the, a, a board member of WISPA and also uh, as the president. So I kind mm -hmm. of understood where they were coming from. And you know, from a business perspective, being able to control how people interact online and helping them decide what they want to do is a very, very powerful thing. And at the end of the day, when you look at the internet as an invention that man created, it's probably more powerful than anything else ever created because it can allow people to communicate, but it also can allow people to make decisions. And if you can control the information that people use to make these decisions, then you can control essentially what decisions they make. I mean, oh yeah. You know, I've been involved in wireless and you know, I get asked this question because it's you know, second, sort of like a joke to me, but you know, 5G, you know, is it, is it a mind control thing? And I said, well, maybe not the wireless waves themselves, but the thing that you're looking at maybe because people drive off the road following Google maps because they're not paying attention to where they're going, but moreover, they make decisions to buy shoes or groceries or which person they vote for based on the information that they get out of those little phones and computer boxes that they listen to that are connected to the internet. So it's a very important thing. So I got involved because I saw a trend in the 2016 election that the news media and the internet specifically were trying to change the narrative. They were kind of shocked that, you know, Donald Trump, this guy from business, an industry was able to capitalize on this technology in a way to speak to people that were longing to hear something and, you know, tell them in a sense what they wanted to hear in some cases, but actually follow through with it in other cases. So um, the problem that I saw is that it was so easy to change that narrative online. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about your new project. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but you know, uh, you know, my, my little website, robmanus.com, we started it in the spring of 2020. Uh, and by the end of September, uh, it had almost a million page views per month. Uh, so it was really taken off. And then 1st of October, 
uh, Facebook, which was my largest audience uh, then and still is, really started suppressing any any website that appeared to be talking about conservatives. Uh, you know, and and I think I've lost about a half a million dollars in pre-tax revenue uh, based on their actions, and it's and it stayed that way. Uh, except for a very few days in January 2021, up leading up to January 6th, uh, uh, but uh, from then on, it stayed that way. Uh, so, so you know, uh, so they know they know that people make decisions based on the information they're getting, and that the reliability of that information can be uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for can can be adjusted by them. I think it might be a, a, a good common word to use. Am I right? Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, throughout history, the print media has been the source for information for a lot of folks. I mean, all the mm -hmm. way back to the cave mandates, you know, they, they do put stuff on walls so they could remember it. But, yeah. you know, you can even go back you know, to the Revolutionary War. You know, Britain, Britain has been probably the, uh, the kings of media and, uh, and information manipulation. You know, they were the ones that sort of invented it, I think. Um, early on in uh, American history, at least, and yeah. you know, we're providing misinformation all the way through World War II, uh, with the idea it was for the better of the good. Whole and mm -hmm. you know, those are things that. But you know, it, it, in today's world, you know, people need to have access to information, even bad information. I think is important because um, outside of the box thinking can sometimes be perceived as wrong think. It could be perceived as crazy thought it could be you know men throughout history were accused of being ridiculous and and foolhardy you know the men that thought we could fly you know the men that thought we could go to space the men that thought you know all these things that we take for granted today you know were all thought of as fools and, that the earth was round <laughs> yeah yeah so all these things um so you know even bad ideas can be worthwhile uh, because they will make you think, you know, why is that a bad idea? Oh, okay, that's why. And then if it's, if it's a situation where it's a bad idea because you've been thinking about things in a certain way all your life because that's how you were raised or that's how you were taught, but mm -hmm. now you're considering another way that may not be congruent or part of a narrative of what your, yeah. of your normal life could open your eyes to something. And so... I think what's happened over the years is that um, a group of people in media have been trying to, to capitalize on this. And, and it, you know, the simplest way to explain how to control media for the benefit of a business application is what one of the things that Google has expressed they want to do. Um, they're mm -hmm. very interested in 3D printing, for example, and the 3D manufacturing specifically, um, where you can look for something online that may not exist, right. Google will understand what you want and then route it to their AI computers. Their AI computers will then manufacture this thing on the fly and then sell it to you. And that would be the ultimate business application to be able to have the exact product that everybody wants at the moment that they want it every time, every day. So, you know, being able to provide news and information to folks in the form that they want to hear it provides an audience that will keep coming back. If, if all you do is tell people what they want to hear and they are happy with that, then they will keep coming back to you. But if you tell people something they don't agree with, then they may not agree with you and they may not like you. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of segmentation and a lot of uh, division going on right now in media. And you know, it's for 
almost, you know, it's sometimes not for political reasons, but for financial reasons. You know, it's very easy to sell products to people on a television show when everybody agrees with everything you say. Yeah, it is. But, it, but that, and that also kind of gets back to what you were talking about, about people like us uh, needing, you know, we need to go on uh, non-friendly media is what I call them. You know, I've been interviewed by uh, uh, CNN several times. Uh, uh, I've been intervie- interviewed by Chuck Todd, <laughs> who a lot of conservatives hate with a passion, you know. Uh, but I did that because, you know, the people that watch those programs don't see uh, information that they, that they may not agree with very often. Uh, so I get your point about that. I mean, there's nothing... There's nothing, one of the reasons about this article in Mother Jones that caught my attention, Alex, is that throughout the article, and it's a very long article and very detailed, uh, uh, the reporter attempts to link you to the violence of January 6th. Uh, and that, that gets to, they're trying to control that media information and that narrative as it's defined uh, by that. And uh, I found it interesting that the, the, the things that you would say back to them uh, uh, t- take the audience through that just to, just for a minute uh, and, and respond to this craziness uh, because I did my research on you and uh, I know people that have known you for a long time that have participated in your conferences uh, and everything and uh, and uh, uh, like me you are not an advocate of political violence uh, you know I mean that would be an absolute 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 last resort. Uh, especially here in the United States of America, when we have so many tools that we can use, if we use them, uh, to change things. Well, so before I explain that, one of the things that I think is is good as a as sort of a base piece of information that people don't pay attention to, and that is a point of information that comes from the Pew Trust uh, Group, which is a very you know progressive left wing operation. I mean, mm-hmm. they're liberal, There's, but they've been tracking uh, public trust in government since um i think the early 70s and amazingly enough it was pretty high back then but now it's you know it's it's dipped down to the single digits and my biggest concern going into um some of the things that we were doing in dc around that uh, 2020 election period is that people's trust in government is really low and it's not it doesn't seem to be trending upward at all it seems to be trending downward and if you understand the the principles of what government is, it, you know, it comes down to a basic trust called the social contract, where um, I as an individual give up certain things so that I may be governed. And there's some benefits to being governed. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have to be worried about law and order. I don't have to be worried about civil organization and structure, things like roads and, and civil um, services. So there are a lot of benefits to that. And so it's a, it's a trade-off. But there has to be trust. So the government has to trust me, and I have to trust the government. And you know, anything below 50% is, you know, probably not good. And we're now in the single digits. So my concern going into it is, I heard a lot of people talking about things in a way that, to me, sounded like, you know, this there's just no there's no going, you know, this direction, and it doesn't end up becoming violent. And so right. when I would go to D.C. and organize with folks. You know, my message was that the vote was our ultimate free speech. You know, it's, it's really, you know, our it was our original free speech to decide from our individual vote who we think is best for president or any other office that we're voting for. Right. And that speech being taken away from us um, or manipulated or 
minimized in any way is a serious problem to that trust because that's a, that you we were given those rights in the constitution to elect our leaders and our constitution protects our rights to vote and our rights to speak and our rights to due process and things that are important that are part of that contract and you know any kind of degradation of that really leads to a long-term problem and if it doesn't get fixed then it will continue to get worse until it becomes critical and i have boys and you know i don't want my boys to live in the world of mad max so to speak you know that's yeah. that's a dystopian future i also don't want them to live in the world of blade runner you know, there's a lot of dystopian futures out there that media and the and the news i mean the movies industry has made that are not really great you know um right you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a nerd so i like star trek so i'd like to live them in the world of star trek to be honest with you where you know it's sort of still has democracy um and and but some socialism is still there because they're all social efforts that you know, people need to have help so it's a kind of a balance of things right so i'm not an extremist in that i think that everybody should vote republican all the time you know i'm not that guy i am i am my own person and i have my beliefs and i have certain liberal beliefs and i have certain conservative beliefs and i think a balance of the two is important in fact i i heard a very good story um i can't remember the author but he was a, a a liberal uh, writer, and he was explaining how conservatism does help balance out some of the things. You know, we all want the perfect world, utopian world, but you know, the reality is, is that you know, you still got to pay for it. And well, so that's that's. I mean, that's what we call. Uh, it's what I think I am a classical liberalism. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, for what if you want to categorize what you believe as a term, it sounds you sound very similar to myself and. And that's what I think the founders of the United States were, uh, you know, the intellectual on the intellectual side of it. Uh, that's where they were coming from, uh, is that there, there should be some government, uh, but it should be limited uh, to the right. point where uh, it should be limited to the point where it doesn't become necessary to do what they did. Uh, and the things you described that. Uh, that, uh, you know, I don't want my sons uh, living in Mad Max or Blade Runner or, or being in, in uh, endless wars. I don't want them in them, you know, right. uh, I or, think and I don't want my daughter in, in them. The wars that we're in right now, I think we're all, you know, created. But regardless, when it comes to January 6th, I was very concerned about it. Um, and I, you know, I was there. I didn't have any control over, I, you know, I'm just one person. I couldn't really control everybody. Yeah. I could see that, you know, there were forces you know, ginned up to you know, make this thing a disaster on both sides. And it's not just the conservative side, because right. there's a lot of things that President Trump asked for that didn't happen. Um, I saw I saw police opening up barricades. I saw people, the police essentially allowing people up the steps to Capitol. And I saw all these things and I recognized people that were, you know, there to agitate. And, mm. you know, there was a whole group of people that I were with, I was with that also noticed that and were saying, you know, stop. And, yeah. um, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of angst and a lot of upset people about how things unfolded. And I think that shutting us down in social media and stopping the dialogue, although considered dangerous from a perspective, was dangerous to curtail also. They should have allowed the discussion. They should have allowed uh, cases to be heard. They should have allowed, you know, things to be done um, and let it be settled. Because, you know, leaving it unsettled was probably the worst thing that could have happened. 
and I think it's harming our it's harming our society now. Uh, uh, we are extremely divided when you look at the numbers, and I, and I and I do the when I do my root cause analysis to where we are today from from that perspective. Uh, it goes right back to the way things were done after January sixth, uh, and hopefully. Uh, it sounds like Kevin McCarthy's going to release the 14,000 hours of video because uh, because the the parts of the story that have been suppressed, like what you just talked about, the provocateurs at the leading edge of the crowd uh, and those kind of things, that's all been suppressed in favor of this narrative that there was some kind of insurrection, uh, et cetera, and, and, and uh, bad people is what we are uh, that believe in uh, limited government uh, and classical liberalism, basically. Well, sometimes I feel like we're living in an alternate universe, like in Sliders, the TV show. I'm a, obviously a sci-fi nut. So, yeah. you know, we, we've slid through and we're now living in the world where every conspiracy theory is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and we we were all <laughs> accusing the the, the, the the social media of doing this and that. And they were all disagreeing with us while they were having conversations with the very government that was executing the censorship with them. And now it's all coming. You know, it took a it took a billionaire to buy Twitter to release all this information. And I I will say this without any actual knowledge of it, but with 100% confidence, there's a, there's a truckload, if not larger, you know, of information that that Elon Musk has not released, that I think um, would be very difficult for the rest of the world and our country to deal with. And and I think he's he's plagued with um how much information he does share because you know one of the biggest concerns i had again run in the run-up to january 6 and you know I, I think most people will understand this is that our nation is 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 like a house okay um it's got a foundation it's got pillars it's got a roof it's got walls it's got all these things that make it a whole uh yeah. a whole construction and the pillars of some of the things that i think are in danger right now are things like the you know the FBI, for example, law enforcement, the executive branch, things people that were we rely on to protect us because again coming back to the social contract, I give up certain things of myself so that you know, I may be governed, and law enforcement is definitely one of those things. And yeah, um, we've been betrayed. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's not you know there's no politically correct way to say that we have been betrayed by those people that we trust now. Do I feel like the FBI needs to be gutted and everything needs to be wrecked? Well, I don't know if I want to go to that extreme, but um, there's a real big problem. And I think that, you know, Bill Barr was was challenged with that task because he knows some things that he didn't. He's a federalist and he believes in these pillars. He believes in the structure of government and that without it, you know, it, it's anarchy and chaos, essentially. And so we have to somehow, you know, kind of bring this ship back on course to where it was supposed to be, but we have to do it kind of in an easy, gradual way without throwing people off board. And, you know, that's my name. Yeah, well, and, and there's a way There's a way to do it, but, uh, you know, I, I might have a little bit of a dissimilar view on the FBI than you do, but, uh, but, uh, but it comes from a perspective of accountability and somebody that's worked in the military for 30 plus years. And part of that work was in the intelligence business. Uh, so I'm very familiar with how, you know, the rules of engagements for intelligence, the classified nature of the operations, uh, uh, the dangers of, of collecting, surveilling uh, American citizens on our own soil. 
and the massive amounts of law and regulations surrounding it. Uh, and the people that broke those laws have not been held accountable, uh, especially on the FISA court and those kind of things. And that's all, that all goes back to the FBI and the Department of Justice. We've got to do some really uh, close inspection of that and some restructuring uh, and, uh, and look at what do we really need as a people now? Do we really need that type of organization like the FBI, uh, considering the, the way we've got technology today and communications, uh, or is it better left to state level and local uh, law enforcement with, with a loosely tied network of science you know, labs and, and those kind of things? But, uh, but you're right. I mean, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we do have to take a look uh, at uh, things that have gone awry. They really have. Yeah, the betrayal is is deep and and serious. And I think that um, accountability is very important. I think people um, need to be held accountable. I think there's a lot of people during the January 6th uh, situation that need to be held accountable. You know, every time I see a politician post about President Trump leading an insurrection, I always have to remind them of the story, you know, written in the Washington Post or or New York Times that says the FBI says there was no insurrection. (laughs) And there wasn't because That's right. you know, it was just a bunch of people that all were thinking the same thing and they were all very upset and they yeah. got jacked up about it. And, you know, this has happened in a lot of countries, um, mm-hmm. but it happened in those countries because there was corruption. And so it didn't not it didn't happen in our country because there was not corruption. There, it happened in our country for the same reason that it happens yeah. in other countries. And so, you know, people need to own that. And I think that. Um, you can't just keep denying it. You can't can't keep calling it an insurrection. Um, I didn't agree with things that people did. I stayed, you know, where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I was actually handing out flyers to talk to people about, you know, what do we do about our political system? Maybe we need a yeah. new third party. Maybe we need to. Those are the types of things that I was trying to get. And I did talk to a lot of folks, and they were a lot of angry people. Oddly enough. And I and I and I complimented this lady for her bravery. There was a you know a, a Democrat in that mix of people at the Capitol. Oh, I'm talking, sure there were many. I'm sure there were many. Snap. Um, she was holding up her signs, and I walked up to her and I said, you know, I you know I like to congratulate you for your bravery to be in this mix, and I you know, and I support your your right to say what you're saying. I don't agree with it, but I support your right. And I shook their hand and I said, thank you for coming and, and doing what you felt was right. Um, but then there was other people there that were, that didn't have good intentions and mm-hmm. they, they were wearing MAGA hats and they were, you know, doing things to get people all jacked up and, and spun up. And, um, I did not appreciate that. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, I have always said I wasn't there. I wasn't anywhere near my. I was down here on the on the beach in Mississippi because uh, my wife said there's no way you're going up there for that speech because uh, I was a, I was gonna go, I wanted to go hear the president speak uh, that day. Uh, but uh, but what I've always said is the people that did violence on that day or or, or instigated violence on that day, uh, they, they need to be held accountable. Uh. Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad-free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.